Jose Carlos Mariategui's seven interpretive essays on Peruvian reality. Essay two, the problem of the Indian, a new approach. Any treatment of the problem of the Indian, written or verbal, that fails or refuses to recognize it as a socio-economic problem is but a sterile, theoretical exercise destined to be completely discredited. Good faith is no justification. Almost all such treatments have served merely to mask or distort the reality of the problem. The socialist criti critique exposes and defines the problem because he looks for its causes in the country's economy and not in its administrative, legal, or ecclesiastic machinery, its racial dualism or pluralism, or its cultural or moral conditions. The problem of the Indian is rooted in the land tenure system of our economy. Any attempt to solve it with administrative or police measures through education or by road building program is superficial and secondary as long as the feudalism of the gamonales continues to exist. Gamonalismo necessarily invalidates any law or regulation for the protection of the Indian. The hacienda owner, the latifundista, is a feudal lord. The written law is powerless against his authority, which is supported by custom and habit. Unpaid labor is illegal, yet unpaid and even forced labor survive in the latifundium. The judge, sub-prefect, the commissary, the teacher, the tax collector are all in bondage to the landed estate. The law cannot prevail against the gamonales. Any official who insisted on applying it would be abandoned and sacrificed by the central government. Here, the influence of gomonalismo are all-powerful, acting directly or through parliament with equal effectiveness. A fresh approach to the problem of the Indian therefore ought to be much more concerned with the consequences of the land tenure system than with the drawing up of protective legislation. The new trend was started in 1918 by Dr. Jose A. Encinas. In his Contribución a una legislación titular indígena, and it has steadily gained strength. But by the very nature of his study, Dr. Encinas could not frame a socio-economic program. Since his proposal proposals were designed to protect Indian property, they had to be limited to legal objectives. Outlining an indigenous homestead act, Dr. Encinas recommended the distribution of state and church lands, although he did not mention expropriating the land of the latifundium gamonales. He repeatedly and consecutively denounced the effects of the latifundium system, and thereby to some extent ushered in the present socio-economic approach to the Indian question. This approach rejects and disqualifies any thesis that confines the question to one or another of the following unilateral criteria, administrative, legal, ethnic, moral, educational, and ecclesiastic. The oldest and most obvious mistake is unquestionably that of reducing the protection of the Indian to an ordinary administrative matter. From the days of Spanish colonial legislation, wise and detailed ordinances worked out after con conscious study have been quite useless. The Republic since independence has been prodigal in its decrees, laws, and provisions intended to protect the Indian against exaction and abuse. The Gamonal of today, like the Encomendero of yesterday, however, has little to fear from administrative theory. He knows that in practice it's altogether diff different. The individualistic character of the Republic's legislation has favored the absorption of Indian property by the latifundium system. The situation of the Indian, in this respect, 
was viewed more realistically by, Splani by Spanish legislation. But legal reform has no more practical value than administrative reform when confronted by feudalism intact within the economic structure. The appropriation of most communal and individual Indian property is an accomplished fact. The experience of all countries that have evolved from this feudal stage shows us, on the other hand, that liberal rights have not been able to operate without the dissolution of feudalism. The assumption that the Indian problem is ethnic is sustained by the most outmoded reportery of imperialist ideas. The concept of inferior races was useful to the white man's West for purposes of expansion and conquest. To expect that the Indian will be emancipated through a steady crossing of the aboriginal race with white immigrants is an anti-sociological na naivete that could only occur to the primitive mentality of an importer of merino sheep. The people of Asia, who are in no way superior to the Indians, have not needed any transfusion of European blood in order to assimilate the most dynamic and creative aspects of Western culture. The, 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 generation, the degeneration of the Peruvian Indian is a cheap invention of sophists who serve feudal interests. The tendency to consider the Indian problem as a moral one embodies a liberal, humanitarian, enlightened 19th century attitude that in the political sphere of the Western world inspires and motivates the League, the quote, League of Human Rights. The anti-slavery conferences and societies in Europe that have denounced more or less futility the crimes of colonizing the nations are born of this tendency, which always has trusted too much in its appeals to the conscience of civilization. Gonzalez Prada was not immune to this hope when he wrote that, quote, the condition of the Indian can improve in two ways. Either the heart of the oppressor will be moved to take pity and recognize the right of the oppressed, or the spirit of the oppressed will find the valor needed to turn on the oppressors, unquote. The Pro-Indian Association, 1900 to 1917, represented the same hope. Although it owed its real effectiveness to the concrete and immediate measures taken by its directors in defense of the Indian, this policy was due in large measure to the practical typical Saxon idealism of Dora Meyer, and the work of the association became well known in Peru and in the rest of the world. Humanitarian teachings have not halted or hampered European imperialism, nor have they reformed its methods. The struggle against imperialism now relies only on the solidarity and strength of the liberation movement of the colonial masses. This concept governs anti-imperialist action in contemporary Europe, action that is supported by liberals like Albert Einstein, Romain Rowland and therefore cannot be considered exclusively socialist. On a moral and intellectual plane, the church took a more energetic, or at least a more authoritative, stand centuries ago. This crusade, however, achieved only very wise laws and provisions. The law of Indian remains substantially the same. Gonzalez Prada, whose point of view, as we know, was not strictly socialist looked for the explanation of its failures in the economic essentials, quote, it could not have happened otherwise, exploitation was the official order, it was pretended that evils were humanly perpetrated and injustices committed equitably. To wipe out abuses, it would have been unnecessary to abolish land appropriation and forced labor in brief to change the entire colonial regime without the toil of American Indian. The coffers of the Spanish treasury would have been emptied, unquote. In any event, religious tenants were more likely to succeed than liberal tenants. The former appealed to a noble and active Spanish Catholicism, whereas the latter tried to make itself heard by a weak and formalist criollo liberalism. But today, a religious solution is unquestionably 
the most outdated and anti-historic of all. Its representatives, unlike their distant, how very distant teachers, are not concerned with obtaining a new declaration of the rights of Indians with adequate authority and ordinances. The missionary is merely assigned the role of mediator between the Indian and the Gamonal. If the church could not accomplish its tasks in a medieval era, when spiritual and intellectual capacity could be measured by friars like Las Casas, how can it succeed with the elements it commands today? The Seventh-day Adventists, in that respect, have taken the lead from the Catholic clergy, whose cloisters attract fewer and fewer evangelists. The belief that the Indian problem is one of education does not seem to be supported by even a strictly and independently pedagogical criterion. Education is now more than ever aware of social and economic factors. The modern pedagogue knows perfectly well that education is not just a question of school and teaching methods. Economic and social circumstances necessarily condition the work of the teacher. Comunalismo is fundamentally opposed to the education of the Indian. It has the same interest in keeping the Indian ignorant as it has encouraging him to depend on alcohol. The modern school, assuming that in the present situation it could be multiplied at the same rate as the rural social age population, is incompatible with the fetal latifundium. The mechanics of Indian servitude would altogether cancel the actions of the school if the latter, by a miracle that is inconceivable within social reality, should manage to preserve its pedagogical mission under a feudal regime. The most efficient and grandiose teaching system could not perform these pedagogy prodigies. School and teachers are doomed to be debased under the pressure of the feudal regime, which cannot be reconciled with the most elementary concept of progress and evolution. When this truth becomes partially understood, the saving formula is thought to be discovered in boarding schools for Indians, but the glaring inaccuracy of this formula is self-evident in the view of the tiny percentage of indigenous schools population that can be boarded in these schools. The pedagogical solution adv advocated by many in good faith has been discarded officially. Educators, I repeat, cannot, can least afford to ignore economic and social reality. At present, it only exists as a vague and formless suggestion with no body or doctrine wants to adopt. The new approach locates the problem of the Indian in the land tenure system.